webcast of Good News Lutheran Church in Mohor, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, April 23, 2017, on the basis of Acts 2, verses 22 through 32. They must be drunk. That was the best explanation that they could think of for the behavior of Peter and the rest of Jesus' followers. They must be drunk. And they were wrong about that. But in making that accusation, they were right about one thing. The behavior that Peter and the rest of, his, and the rest of Jesus' disciples demonstrated just a few weeks after Jesus had died did in fact need an explanation. The specific thing that they had in mind was that suddenly these ordinary and uneducated fishermen were speaking in all kinds of, of different languages, which of course to, to Jewish people, to Aramaic-speaking people, sounded like nothing but gibberish, and so that's why they made the accusation that they were drunk. But even more than that, all of the behavior and everything that happened during the weeks and months and years and even decades and centuries following Jesus' death needs an explanation. That suddenly these sniveling, scared disciples who had run away at the first sign of danger were boldly proclaiming and traveling the world, telling the truth about Jesus, even being willing to go to their death doing so. That somehow Christianity, which had been a movement that was completely dead in the water when Jesus died on the cross, suddenly exploded throughout the Mediterranean world and changed the course of human history. That skeptical people like the Apostle Paul, for example, went from being a persecutor of Christians to the greatest Christian missionary that the world has ever seen. All of it needs an explanation. And even more than that, so does your behavior. For starters, the fact that you're here this morning. I don't know if you knew this, I don't know if you have heard this, but life these days is kind of busy, isn't it? Schedules and calendars fill up pretty quickly. And out of all the days where maybe you would be given an excuse for not being in God's house on Sunday morning, maybe the, the Sunday right after Easter would kind of be right at the top of the list, right? And yet, here you are. In addition to the time that you spend here, you spend time praying, you spend time reading God's word, you spend time sharing God's word with your families in your homes. That needs an explanation. Or what about this? What about the fact that, that on a regular and ongoing basis, you take some of the hard-earned money that you have worked for and you just give it away generously so that the very same message that you hear here can be heard elsewhere, can be spread elsewhere. I don't know if you've heard this, but, but in addition to life being busy, life is expensive as well. There's a lot to think about between college education and weddings and retirement. Financial security is hard to come by, and yet here you are generously giving that money away. It needs an explanation. Or what about the rest of your behavior? I don't know if you knew this, but the general motto for morality in our world today can probably be best summed up by this simple phrase, do what feels good. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, as long as no one else has done harm, just do whatever feels good. Whatever your heart desires, do it. Whatever brings you satisfaction and fulfillment, pursue it. But you, you instead demonstrate restraint and self-denial. 
you hold yourself to a much higher standard that if God says that something is wrong rather than indulging in it, you resist it, even though it might be very, very difficult. All of that requires an explanation. Explain that to me. Someone might say that to you at some point, just like happened a few weeks after Jesus had died on the cross. And even if no one ever says that to you, you sort of need to say that to yourself. You need an explanation for those things. Because if you don't have a satisfactory explanation, then one day the day is going to come when you're going to be the one who looks at your own behavior and you're going to think that you're the one who's maybe drunk or crazy or gullible, perhaps. That when life gets busier and money gets tighter and sin gets more enticing, if you don't have an explanation for why you're doing what you're doing, then you're going to have no problem justifying why all of that behavior can change. And so thankfully, what is needed in all of this is exactly what the Apostle Peter provides for us this morning. That just seven weeks after Jesus had died on the cross, Peter stands up in front of this entire group of people, and he does that very thing. He addresses the behavior of Jesus' disciples, and he begins by saying, allow me to explain. Here's specifically what Peter says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. So the first thing we need to take note of with Peter's explanation is that Peter spends a lot of time focusing on the facts, the events that had just taken place. Peter basically says, here's what happened. Start with Jesus' life, a life filled with him performing signs, miracles, and wonders. Everyone saw it. No one disputed it. Then Jesus' death. Again, Everyone saw it. Everyone knew that it had happened. No one disputed it. And then finally, Peter talks about Jesus' resurrection. Now, as I mentioned last week, that one deserves a little bit more attention because it turns out resurrections aren't quite as common as deaths. But notice how when Peter speaks of Jesus' resurrection, even there he says, we are witnesses. This isn't just something we think happened or believe happened. This is something that we have seen with our own eyes. And even though that wasn't true for everyone who was in the crowd that day, even though that isn't true for you and me, Peter's claim to be an eyewitness of the resurrection is very, very important. You see, Peter was making this claim just seven weeks after it had happened and in the very same place where it had taken place. So not half a world away, not hundreds and hundreds of years later, Seven weeks and in the very city, not exactly the ideal place to just make up a lie. Peter was essentially inviting everyone in the crowd that day to go and see for themselves if Jesus had risen from the dead, and they would have proven Peter to be a liar had that been possible. That's why Jesus was 
able to say to Thomas what he said. He said, you've seen because you believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. With those words, Jesus isn't simply inviting us to kind of put blind faith into some nice story or tall tale. No, he is simply asking us to believe the eyewitness testimony of the men and women who saw it happen and who claimed that it happened at a time when it would have been the easiest thing in the world for it to have been proven false. And they went to their death claiming it to be true. Peter says, this is just what happened. Jesus lived. Jesus died, Jesus rose. Now, why is that important? It's important because I I think in a lot of cases, the explanations that we hear and the explanations that we give for our Christian faith focus a whole lot less on those objective facts and focus a whole lot more on subjective experience. They focus a whole lot less on the real events that actually happened, and they instead focus on my experience of, my response to, my feelings toward those events. So why do you you go to church? Why do you pray? Why do you read your Bible? Why Why do you give generously? Why do you fight against temptation? Well, well, because it lifts me up when I'm down. And it gives me comfort and strength and encouragement to get through life. It helps get me through the week. When I do it, I can can really sense and I can feel God's presence in my life. And it's just so good to know that how I am living is pleasing to God. Now, friends, don't get me wrong. It is a wonderful thing when Christian faith and Christian life is all of those things. And yet, make no mistake, if that's our explanation... That's a wholly inadequate explanation. First of all, if, if the only explanation is simply our own subjective experience, then it gives, absol- it gives no one else any reason whatsoever to share that experience with us. It's, it's just our own personal thing. And second of all, the day will come when that subjective experience changes. And suddenly that explanation is no longer good enough. Because as much as you might find it comforting and encouraging and strengthening to go to church and to give generously and to pray and to fight temptation, you know what at some point in your life is going to be more comforting, more strengthening, more enjoyable? Sleeping in and keeping the money in your own pocket and saying yes to sin. In fact, I'm guessing that if you're anything like me, you can look at times in your life where those kinds of things have in fact been going on. And maybe, maybe it's in part because our explanation, our reason for doing them in the first place was a whole lot more based on our subjective feelings and experience than on the objective reality of what simply happened. So it's good that that Peter starts there. Here's what happened. But Peter's explanation has more. He doesn't just focus on the facts. He also focuses on the implication of those facts for our lives. In other words, he doesn't simply say, here's what happened. He then goes on to explain, here's what that means. And out of everything that Peter says in those words that I read, maybe the the one statement that is the most jarring and the most striking is when Peter looks at the crowd and says this, you, with the help of wicked men, put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross. 
In other words, Peter is saying, here's what happened. Jesus died on the cross, but now here's what that means. You did something really, really bad. There's some interesting biblical scholarship about Peter's words that day. And, and the big question is, how many of the people who were in the crowd on Pentecost were also part of the crowd on Good Friday that had been yelling, crucify him, crucify him? Without a doubt, there was probably some overlap between those two groups. But without a doubt, there were probably some people there on Pentecost who were not there on Good Friday. And that's okay because Peter's trying to make a point that's much, much bigger than that. Much, much bigger than who specifically in that group was personally and directly involved with the death of Jesus. In fact, where Peter wants to put the focus is on God's role in the death of Jesus. Peter says the only reason that anyone was allowed to put Jesus to death in the first place is because Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. What that means is that Jesus' death on the cross was not some unfortunate example of injustice. It was not just some wicked act carried out by a small group of people. No, Jesus' death on the cross was God's design. Jesus' death on the cross was God's strategy for dealing with the sin of all mankind. Jesus' death on the cross was God's big plan for solving the world's big problem. Which means that the, the words that Peter speaks there were not simply true of, of the small group within that crowd who happened to be there on Good Friday. It means that they were also true for everyone else who was there. It means they're also true for everyone in this room. You put Jesus to death. I put Jesus to death. It's our sin. It's our constant selfishness. It's our calloused indifference toward others who are in need. It's our, our cool indifference toward God's word and God's work. It's those sins that made Jesus' death necessary. That's what happened and that's what it means. But now Easter means that God looked at everything that Jesus had done and he approved. He called it good. What had happened is that Jesus had lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and what it meant is that God had appointed Jesus as the world's one and only Savior and he approved the work that Jesus had done. All of these events mean that God has given his full endorsement to Jesus as the one and only solution to our biggest problem. Why is that important? Well, I, I think in our explanation of our faith and of our Christian life, we have a tendency to reduce Jesus' significance to something much, much smaller than that. We make Jesus nothing more than a good role model. We turn Jesus into a, a life coach or almost like a, a therapist. Or maybe we even turn Jesus into this genie in a bottle who's supposed to grant our each and every wish. And friends, again, if that's our explanation for why we're here for what we do, then, then rest assured there will be a day when that explanation fails. And when your expectations for Jesus are disappointed. That's why it's so good that Peter tells us exactly what the significance of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are all about. He tells us that, that Jesus isn't just a, a role model. Jesus came to be a substitute. 
He came to be the one who lived the life that you could not possibly live. Jesus didn't come to be a a therapist, someone who could encourage you and help you make better choices with your life. No, Jesus came to be the one who had to pay the penalty for all the bad choices that you've already made with your life. Jesus didn't come to be a a life coach or a genie in the bottle whose, whose only job is to make our life right here, right now, as happy and successful as it possibly can be. No, Jesus is our resurrection. Jesus is our life. Jesus is our one and only hope for the life to come. What happened means that. That God had given his full endorsement that Jesus is all of that. And so friends, I I almost feel the need as, as though I need to give you a little bit of a warning. Because this explanation that Peter gave just weeks after Jesus' death, it's still the explanation for who we are and what we do. And this sermon that Peter gave, which is kind of like the first Christian sermon that was ever given, it's still the beating heart of every single Christian sermon delivered. Here's what happened. Here's what that means. And friends, the the implication of that is that the effect that that had in the lives of those apostles and in the lives of so many people around the Mediterranean is exactly the effect that it's going to have in your life too. That you will behave and you will act in ways that the world around you thinks are a little bit crazy. That the world around you doesn't understand and yet is strangely drawn to. And that people in your life might be actually prompted to do the very thing that these people did to look for an explanation. And friends, if you, don't, if you don't have that explanation, if your behavior is, is kind of based on the fact that you're crazy or gullible or whatever the case might be, that, that might sound like kind of a scary thing. But we have that explanation. We know exactly what happened. We know exactly what it means. And so God willing, when, when that day comes, when we too are asked, may God give us the strength and the confidence to stand up and say, allow me to explain. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.